The following audio is via a Skype call. I know we're all pretty small in the big scheme of things. And I suppose the most you can hope for is to make some kind of difference. But what kind of difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me? TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour if our luck holds up and if we stay on the good side of technology, number one. And True. secondly, bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? Aye, aye, captains. <laughs> He's going... I didn't He's going think, all pirate on it. Is it talk like a pirate day again? <laughs> I think it always is. I mean, if I'm going to be up on this perch, I got to play the role appropriately. And since Seafair is not too far away as well here uh, in the Pacific Northwest, I, I just got to I gotta live it up. So you're in the crow's nest, which I miss so much. You know, Not to uh, wander too far afield here, but whenever Suzanne and I get to Seattle, we get to do live shows there in the studio, especially the newly refreshed, renovated, and spectacular-looking studio at 11.50 a.m. We just love it. So I'm just going to put that on my wish list, as I do every year, and hope that the fates will allow. It is very amazing. I mean, oh, <laughs> so nice. Oh. Why, it was just like yesterday. Right? I remember it so clearly. <laughs> now we're doing an episode of The Golden Girls. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> Today, once again, we are going to have, and we've been looking forward to round two for so long, Suzanne, we're going to have Daniel Bruce Levin with us, author of The Mosaic, and as I said in my social media advertising this week, that that Daniel Bruce Levin is a guy that I would regard as a modern master of the parable. And the parable, as it's traditionally understood, is a way of getting a deeper truth to mass consciousness by way of stories. And stories have characters, and those characters have lessons to reveal. But that's not to give the man his mad props. That's your job, Suzanne. Go for it. Daniel Levin is a kind of, I know, is a connectivity expert and business leader works with governmental organizations, corporations, and businesses to improve how people treat themselves and each other. Sharing a message of unification, he is a popular speaker for groups whose focus is on problem-solving, innovation, and conflict resolution. That is just a piece of a much larger bio, but we want to get to this man. This is the second time we've had him on. The first time was in January of this year, and we promised him he will come back again. So welcome for the second time, Daniel Levin. How are you today? Oh, Suzanne and Gary, if I was any better, it would be illegal. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, he's ready for our show. I Absolutely. <laughs> Daniel, let me ask you, uh, since we spoke the first time, and you said uh, you said as much in a message to me during the week, that so much has happened since we did our first interview, why don't you catch everybody up on the success of the Mosaic and on what's going on with you personally? 
Thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. So what's happening is more and more people are reading the book. It, it, it has not, it wasn't like I thought it would be. I think everybody, when they write a book, thinks it's going to be an instant overnight bestseller that people are going to share it with their friends. And I gave it to some of my friends bought it. I thought 10 of their, they would send it to 10 of their friends who would send it to 10 of their friends and 10 of their friends, Odd, you know, until we have a multi-million dollar bestseller book. But what's happened is uh, a little bit different. It's been a slower, more natural, more organic growth. And I've been really happy about that because one of the things that I talk about in the book, one of the four practices of the mosaic is to do what you came here to do. And it's really interesting because as I was listening yesterday to the first show that we did, I spoke so much about all the things that were going on. And what I want to do this time, if I can, is just become a little more vulnerable and a little more, a little more real around where I am because as we walk into any venture, for me in particular, I don't know if this is true for anybody else, that as we walk along the way, everything that we see starts to change. It's almost like we're walking, seeing the same thing, but in a spiral going deeper and deeper towards the center of who we are. And from that different perspective, the same exact thing looks different. And so... One of the things that I'm working on is what is really the message of the mosaic? At first, I thought it was about connectivity. Then I started to think it was about seeing what you don't see. Now, more and more, I'm starting to think that it's about how do we create, in this world that we live in, a unification of ideas rather than a diversion of ideas. How do we come together in a place where we can actually start to experience real results, not gridlock of results? And it doesn't take a lot to look around and see politically we're in gridlock, uh, church in, in religion we're in gridlock, in nation to nation we're in gridlock. There's so many places that we look that where we're missing sort of the whole point of the of the, of the story, not the story of the mosaic, the story of our life, that we came here together to help each other accomplish something that the world really wants us to accomplish. And we're caught in the stories, in our little individual stories, and we've forgotten the big story that exists. And one of the reasons why I like the form of the mosaic so much is that in a story, everybody can plug into the story in the way they plug into it. In a self-help book, you have people teaching other people how to live. In a story, everybody relates to it from their own perspective, from their own experiences, from their own way. And so the question that I really want to ask people in this time that we have together, and the people that are listening, is exactly what you started to show off with, that little clip that you said, how, how does my life make this world better? I love that. Uh, and that would be so important for us to see, how do we together make this life better? Does that make sense? Daniel, you, I have, I'm sitting here with such a big smile on my face because as Gary and I were making a few notes about this morning and the things that we wanted to talk about, 
one of them is exactly what you're talking about, and it is exactly where I wanted to start. In the last time we got together in January, you had been talking about, um, you know, you, some of these same ideas regarding connectivity and unification. We also had a conversation about um, people uh, working together. And we, we talked about like the flock of birds. This yes, was something yes. that we had we had discussed with another guest a number of years ago. And I looked it up in the dictionary because the conversation we had had years ago was about murmuration. And so when I remembered the word, I went and looked up the word murmuration. And it is about a flock of starlings. And when you look at starlings who are flying together, and there's many YouTube clips on that, there is this hypnotizing effect where thousands of birds are all flying together. And they, they do this, they, the scientists believe, in part to keep warm at night and to exchange information about the, the best place to get food. But as a symbol starlings are symbols of strength, freedom, and unity. And the fact that they fly in these formations that are breathtakingly beautiful, when you, when you see the videos, you can see how, how they're creating patterns and they're, and they're, you know, waving all around the sky beautifully. And that was the kind of thing that we were discussing last time. And then you bring it up again, and it's like number one on my list. And it has to do with exactly what you're saying, is that even though we're all separate in that way as individual birds, we can flock here together and create a beautiful, beautiful pattern and a beautiful, beautiful life as we are working connected, not disconnected and in conflict. And so um, you're starting exactly where I wanted to start today. Which, and that is working together. Which shows, which shows how connected we are, right? But I want to even take that a little step further. And for people who want more information on it, they can go to my website, themosaiconline.com, and they can click on the link that says Swarm. And we're starting to work uh, with some people, really smart people, people way smarter than my, myself. Um, but Dr. Lewis Rosenberg started something called Unanimous AI. And what he did is he took exactly that situation, whether it was starlets or, or he just noticed that birds, when they fly in a flock, they don't have a leader. They fly in a connected swarm. They fly as if they are one mind moving in sync with each other. Fish do the same thing. Uh, bees do that when they need to find out how to where they're going to build the hive. And these are life and death situations for them because they have to find the best place to build the hive. And the, the intelligence in the mind of a bee is, is not perceived to be that, that strong. But So what they do is they send out bees into thousands of different areas, and they come back together, and they literally... Come to, their, come to a place where they vibrate together, where they move each other to the left or the right, up and down, and they get to the place where there's, they move from resistance because there is some resistance. Bees, one says we should go over here, the other says we should go over here, 
But they find that place together where there's no resistance, and then they move to that place to build their hive. What animals do of lesser intelligence than, than human beings is they come together to, so that they can actually think smarter because they understand that their connected mind gives them more value than their solo mind. And so Lewis, Dr. Lewis Rosenberg thought, I wonder if we can do this swarm intelligence with the human mind because human mind, it naturally thinks of following the leader. We're, we have people that are that know more than we do, and we follow them. We have leaders and businesses, and we follow them. We have we have self-help people who fix people, and we follow them. But he was thinking maybe there's another way, and maybe there's a new paradigm that's about to happen. And he looked at nature around them and said, "I wonder if we could get human beings to do this." And so, you can go to Unanimous AI and see the work that he's done. It's Unanimous.AI. It's a fabulous website. They've, they've, they found conclusively. And what they did is they tested things that they could see the answers to, like who won the Kentucky Derby or who's going to win the Academy Award or who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's going to do that. And they brought people together and, and had the collective mind come up with answers. And their answers as a collective, as a collective mind was, so, was all the time way more valuable than experts in the field or doctors or, or uh, entertainment people or, or people that were supposed to know more, the collective mind always solved problems better than the solo mind, even if the solo mind was an expert. And so one of the things we want to do is the mission of the mosaic and where it's really grown, grown is that when I looked at the world around me, what I saw is that 99% of the people, their voices don't get heard. We listen to a very few bunch of influencers. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to give voice to those people that have no voice. And I want to bring them together so that collectively we can start to look at how would we solve the problems that exist in the world. First of all, what are the problems we want to solve? Do we want to solve homelessness? Do we want to solve hunger? Do we want to solve not, not having clean drinking water? Do we want to solve sexual, sexual inequality? Do we want to solve human trafficking? Do we want to solve health care? Do we want to solve education? What are the places that, if we were to give it to the people at large, for them to make a decision, what would, they, what would their first thing be? And I don't want to do it by vote. Because vote is the way of the old paradigm. What I want to do with it by is swarm. And so what would happen is we will put, we'll, we'll create a room, a virtual room. And in that virtual room, there'll be an octagon. And at the corners of each of the octagon will be one of the, one of the things we want to, one of the problems that exist in the world. And we'll ask the collective people to come into that room and move a puck all at the same time together towards what, what problem they most want to solve. And we'll do it a, n a number of different times with a number of different groups. And we'll put that data together to see what people want to solve. And then we'll go about asking them, how would they go about solving it? And collectively, we'll come back into the room again. We'll put their options around there. 
and we'll collectively solve it again. And I believe that when we can do that, so what I want to start is something, and you can read about it on the most on the forum on my website. I want to start something called the dollar, the, the Mosaic Swarm Club, and it's going to be a dollar a month. And what I hope to do is get one billion members, so that the money that we have from the one billion dollars that we get, one billion people giving one dollar a month, one billion dollars a month. We will donate that money to solve the problems that we, the people, have decided are the problems to solve in the ways we, the people, choose to do it. And through the technology and of, of Swarm, through using the AI that exists to make the human mind more intelligent, we will test out if we can come up with new ways to solve situations. And say we miss it for six months. Say we're, we're close, but we don't find the solution. We will have lost $6 billion, but that, that will be only $1 from me and $1 from you and $1 from Gary and $1 from everybody else. So I'm willing to invest $6 or $8 or $10 or $15 to see if collectively we can come up with an answer. And there won't be a board that we have to go to or uh, or a president or an organization. It's us. We're going to decide. I, I mean, it, to me, it's such a beautiful reality. So what we're in the stages now of doing is pulling the people together, finding the resources to make that happen. Um, we're talking. We're talking to people. People. People are getting excited by it and saying they want to contribute. They want to be a part of it. They want to help out. They know people that can help us set up the the, the funding, and we'll spread the message by going around the world many people and asking people these questions and bringing people in to the to this mosaic swarm and and allowing them to put the decisions to the problems that need to be solved in their own hands daniel i wanted to talk about this swarm mentality in another way but yes, it's a beautiful idea and you are reflecting on beautiful ideals because people who are willing to invest just a little bit of themselves can be part of a collective solution. And even as I say that, there are people saying, ah, you're a collectivist. You belong with the Hammer and Sickle Club. That's your problem. Yeah. We're not going to turn into a communist nation to suit you people. Well, you know, you what? know it's what, 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 what's beautiful, Gary? is that when I was first presenting the idea, I presented it to a dear friend of mine, and he got really mad at me and just walked away and, and hasn't spoken to me since. And, and I thought, you know what? I pushed too hard for him because I wanted him to get it and I wanted him to know it. But really what we're down to now is we're looking for the minority of one billion people. Our world has almost eight billion people in it. So you, there will be all those people. And they are, I welcome those people to be in the majority of the other 7 billion. All we're looking for is the 1 billion people that say, hold it, I like that. I like that idea. I want to be a part of something different. It's willing, I'm willing to invest $1 a month to see if we can create a new paradigm, a new way to solve our problems. Because the old paradigm and the old way of solving our problems just isn't working. So I'm okay with 7 billion people saying no. I'm, I'm looking for the minority of 1 billion. 
and I love the way that sounds. I love the Zen Cohen-ness of that, <laughs> a minority of one billion, right? Because one billion is a lot of people. But in a world of eight billion, we're still the minority. One, one billion is a lot of people. And up to this point, I have not yet seen and may someday see that many people coming together for solutions. What it reminds me of, Daniel, is that there are far less than one billion that have already swarmed and have already made a huge difference worldwide. And that 1% is part of the military industrial complex. They did come together. They don't do, they are friends with each other. They have put their money into what they think is best into, you know, oil and gas and, and uh, coal and all kinds of things. And they have the resources and they have a small number of people who are able to run everything worldwide. And so when you talk about this swarming, this uh, murmuration of the starlings, uh, I think we've already seen it in that context, but it seems to me in that context of the, the 1% that seem to be making all the decisions and running everything, you have 99% of the people that don't really like what the 1% have done. Or, or that don't have any say in it. Some of the 99% of the people probably do like it, okay? But, but if I can push you back a little bit, because that was our agreement before we got online, right? Is, yes. Is those models definitely exist where a small percentage of people use, find resources and money to further the missions that they believe are real. That's the exact opposite of what I'm trying to do with Mosaic Swarm. What I'm trying to do is take the power away from the 1% because they can be a part of, uh, of the 99, they can be a part of the 100%, but they don't determine, I don't want to, I'm I don't want to let 1% of the people determine what we do in SWARM. I want 100% of the people to decide. I want whoever is a part, a member of the SWARM, to have the same voting power, that, but it's not a vote, the same ability to come into a room and influence the room by allowing their voices to be heard and moving the, this puck in the center of the room towards one of the solutions that are on the side. And there will be, you can see it when they do it, there's conflict there. People try and move it to the left, people try and move it to the right, people move up, people move down. But eventually, what happens is the puck goes to settle in one place. And the most popular example that, they, that, they, that I use, I don't know if it's their most popular example, is someone challenged them and said, if you're good at this and you can do this, then what we want to see, tell us who's going to win the Kentucky Derby. But don't just tell us who's going to come in first. Tell us who's going to come in first, second, third, and fourth. And the chances of doing that, by the way, are 586 to 1. You don't have good chances. So they said, great, let's try it. So they brought 40 horse enthusiasts into the room. They weren't professional gamblers. They weren't handicappers. They weren't horse owners. They weren't anything. They just liked horse races. And together they came together. And before they 
started their experiment, they had them fill out their own race sheet. And they said, who's going to come in first? And each one of them put their own answers down. Do you know that collectively that group of 40 people came up in the swarm with the first, second, third, and fourth place winners? A bet of $20 on that on their choices would have brought it back $11,000 prize. But here's the important thing. Not one of them on their own card picked the horse that, come, that came in first to come in first, nor the horse that came in second to come in second. Only one of the 40 picked the horse to come in third to come in third, and nobody picked the horse to come in fourth to come in fourth. So individually, none of them came up with the right answers. But collectively, they came up with exactly the right answers against 586 to 1 odds. We don't Again. want anymore a system where the few decide for the many. The many are more intelligent than the few. If we can just use systems that are already in place now that will allow the many to voice what they believe so that we can collectively become, like our Constitution starts out, we the people, and we can make the decisions that we want to do to solve the problems that we ourselves have created and make this world the place that we've always dreamed about living in. The, uh, one of the things that I read in your bio was that you've worked with conflict resolution. And one of the questions I asked myself here is, because we are a species which is in conflict, I'm wondering if it's really needed as in order to have growth on the planet. It, it, we're not going to grow our, our own souls or evolve as human beings if we all think alike. So when you have these 40 people who are, who are working in, together in unison, they don't think the same way. Each is picking a different horse to, to first, second, third, and fourth. It is in the conflict where one says it's going to be horse number one, the next one says, no, it's going to be horse number four, the third one says it's going to be horse number six, and it is in working through the conflict that you can get to the solution so you really can't right. be conflict-averse, can you? No, and, and the community that I want to create is a community of like and unlike minds, because I think as long as we just continue to do what we always have continued to do and find people that support us in doing what we always do, we'll just always have the situations that we always have. But the beautiful thing about this swarm that really intoxicates me with its, with its, it, with its um way of, of being, a way of, 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 of coming up with solutions, is that it makes the human mind smarter. Because what happens is those people, at, the, at simultaneously, the person that says horse number six is going to come in first, and horse number four, and horse number one, and horse number eight, and horse number two, are literally, you can, you can see them as they try and move the puck, and the puck actually moves. And then, but then at a certain point in time, the, the puck goes from a gridlock place to a place where there's no resistance, and they all move to that place. And that's the beauty of how we end conflict in this world. We, as long as we believe that we are the ones that will produce the answers, we will have conflict. 
But when we understand that the connected mind is much more powerful than the solo mind, conflict resolves. We're at a place where we need to take a break. And when we do, we're going to pick up the threads of this conversation, collective as they are. And I wanted to bring up an example of something that happened just within the past couple of days that does involve swarm mentality. I don't think it involves mosaic mentality, but murmuration, swarm, yes, I think those words apply and I'll indicate what that is. And I can't wait to hear the response from Daniel Bruce Levin, author of The Mosaic and our honored guest today. Give us a couple of minutes, then more of Manson Mitchell on Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Daniel Levin to discuss further the soul-building ideas he lays out in his book, The Mosaic. On Saturday, Bryn Blankenship makes her debut on our show and talks about hypno-regression into past, present, and future lives. Bringing you fascinating talks since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest, Daniel Bruce Levin, author of The Mosaic. Before I toss this to you, uh, Daniel, I just want to say, by way of my own personal endorsement, is that we have a copy of this book. It's a a black and white book. It is uh, not a huge book. It's It's a heavy book. It is a beautiful book, and I would consider this to be the perfect gift book for people that you love or yourself, because uh, the mosaic is a great 
parable, a great allegory with archetypes in it, and there will be many that you can relate to in reading the Mosaic. It is a truly wonderful book, and I, I just wanted to say that before I throw it to you, Daniel, and say, how can people connect with you? Where can they get the book? What is your website? Anything that uh, you would like to throw out there and say, this is your opportunity. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for those kind words about your, your feelings of the mosaic. I've been really blessed to have people who read it have a very similar response. It's, it's really a short book. It's 220-some pages, but it's written sort of in a, almost a uh, poetic style. But, so it's really easy to read, and you can go chapter to chapter and just read it. And to get any information about me at all, please just go to my website, themosaiconline.com. That's the easiest place to find all my information. You can buy the book there. You can get a signed copy there. If you want to buy it and make it easy, because that's what you do, it's available on Amazon. You can get it as a Kindle or as far as a hardcover. Uh, and you just would look up the Mosaic Daniel Levin. And if you... If you need to, to talk to me or do it, you can reach me through the mosaiconline.com. All my social media places are there. It just makes it easy to go to one place. And there's so many things on there that I'd love to share with you. And um, start, Go there and ask me things. Come open up dialogue. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you feel. How can, how can we serve each other and help each other? That's the purpose of what we're doing here together anyway, right? Is your um, website, uh, is it The Mosaic Online or just Mosaic Online? The Mosaic Online. Mosaic Online. Like when people when people go the there, is, is that where you have the opportunity to uh, draw a card? Yes, beautiful. Thank you for asking. So if you go to themosaiconline.com, a couple of the places will have drop-down menus. And if you look at The Mosaic, if you look at Mosaic, the mosaic, it'll drop down and it'll say card reading. And one of the things that I found people are really enjoying is that we live very isolated lives right now. We think that we interact a lot, but we don't have a lot of places where we can um, get other perspectives. We normally, we're very much in our silos of people who think like us, believe like us, feel like us. And we're almost scared in this current environment to say what we actually think because we don't want to offend anybody or get into a conflict situation because what we think is so quickly battled by other people who think differently than us. So one of the things I created was this card deck that's free of charge to use. You can use it whenever you want. You go there and you click on card reading and you just ask a question or you don't have to ask anything. You just pick cards that might be valuable to you. And to this day, when I was at Hay House, um, it was the thing that I used, I, I created, that actually helped Payhouse grow from a $3 million company to a $100 million company. We created these card decks with different authors, and it was one of the most popular things that happened. And so when I wrote the Mosaic, I wrote my own card deck as well. I don't know how it works that the spontaneity of asking a question and picking a card gives you the answers to the questions you want. But it does. And I've tested it numerous times, and other people have tested it numerous times. And they just say, it's spot on. So if you're looking for other perspectives, other ways of seeing the world and the way you see it, go to, the, go to themosaiconline.com, 
look at the drop-down menu under Mosaic and find card reading, click on it, and ask a question. And, and shuffle the deck, you'll shuffle the deck, and you'll pick three cards. And I would love to hear what you think, because up until now, people have been so generous and kind with the responses that they've been given. It's important in the world we live in, in particular, to see what I call the 359. We live in a 360-degree reality, where everything exists with 300, on a 360-degree view. That's not even taking an aerial view and a, 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 a underground view. But let's just say with 360, our perspective is one degree. And so often we're stuck in the perspective that we see, and we don't see the other 359. And part of the work that I do with people and organizations and government is I invite them to see what I call the 359. What are the other ways of seeing exactly the same thing differently? And what would that do to enrich the quality of the decisions that we're able to make? How would that give us a more robust understanding of the life we're actually living? So try it out. I think it'll be fun. Thank you for that. Good advice. I'd like to go back to murmuration, to swarm mentality. And I particularly emphasize that I am not, for the moment, talking about mosaic mentality, but rather the opposite. A couple of nights ago, Daniel, the president of the United States, with nothing else to do that day, traveled up to North Carolina and he had a rally. A lot of supporters there, noisy supporters. And after he went on at length, about 15 minutes, as I recall, inveighing against four freshman Congresswomen, Democrats, and honing in on one in particular, Representative Omar of Minnesota, he said, if they don't like America, if they're going to be doing ABC negative things, trashing our country, let them leave. And then, with just a couple of people shouting while he was speaking, only a couple of people that I heard, and I watched this footage a couple of times, all of a sudden there was a burst of shouts, send her back send her back rhythmically, send her back. And with that going on, President Trump extended his arms. He didn't shout it with them, but he extended his arms, giving them that avenue until he was ready to speak again. Now I find out on the news today that he disavows their comments and does not agree with them. Well, it sure didn't look that way last weekend with the tweets he sent out. And it sure didn't look that way the other night in North Carolina. If anything, he was egging them on. Now, that is political murmuration, the way I look at it, Daniel. That is a swarm mentality. And there was a rhythm and a flow to that swarm. And I just thought to myself, it's very much easier to my individual perception to whip people up into a frenzy against something or someone than it is to get them behind a good, useful, nurturing, wholesome idea. Now, am I seeing that wrong or is there a parallel there in your mind? 
Uh, I don't think anything is wrong. I think even even that incident. I think what happens, and I, I may have said this in our first show, but it, it's important for me to share it again. I have the distinct privilege of having a 29-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. And she's not able to speak like you and I speak. She, people can't understand her. And I've been with her a long time. I've been with her 29 years. So of all the people that can understand her, I probably understand her the most. But there's sometimes when she'll try and say something, and she, we don't have these kind of conversations. Our conversations are around much simpler basic needs. But she'll try and tell me something, and, and most of the time I'll get it. But sometimes I don't. And when I don't get it, what she does is she raises her voice and screams. She wants me to hear it that much, she screams. But what happens is it isn't because I couldn't hear her. It was because I couldn't understand her. And so when I still don't get it when she screams, she goes into a tantrum. And when I still don't understand it, because now the tantrum has put emotion behind it and, they, and, and impacted it with you know, feelings and all sorts of things, it's even harder to understand. Then she'll get so frustrated, she'll run at me and she'll try and bite me or tear my shirt or do something. She'll try and destroy something. It took me a lot of years to understand what was going on. And just a couple of years ago, after this happened for maybe 8, 10, 15 years, and sometimes it would happen three, four times a day. Finally, I said, there's got to be something. There's something that she's trying to say that I'm not hearing. And so in the middle of one of her incidences of rage, I looked at her and I said, Elisa, are you trying to say something to me that I can't understand? Her rage stopped in a moment and she started laughing. And I said, Elisa, why are you laughing? And she said, Daddy, Perfect English. You're right. I'm trying to say something to you. And I said, Elisa, for God's sake, tell me. I'm so sorry. I couldn't hear you. Tell me how you're speaking to me. Because sometimes you speak and I just can't understand that I try so hard. And it hurts me so much. In my heart, it hurts me that I can't understand you. Tell me how you're talking to me. And she took her index finger and she put it to the side of her head. And what I heard her say to me through that movement is that she was putting thoughts in my head. Now, for all these years, I thought that sometimes she was doing that, but I didn't trust my instincts enough to know that. But what she was saying to me is, I can speak to you through, your, through the power of our mind. I can't speak to you as well through the power of my voice because my voice, I can't get my voice to say what I want to say. But my mind can tell you what it wants without talking it. And I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts into my head? <laughs> and, she, and she started laughing like, a, I mean, uncontrollable from the pit of her stomach. So three minutes ago, two minutes ago, she was in absolute rage. Now she's laughing like the laughing Buddha, just laughing uncontrollably with, with such joy. And she said, yes, daddy, yes, yes, daddy, yes. Now, here's the interesting thing, Gary. I realize every person that I've ever met does the same thing to a varying degree. When they speak and they don't get listened to, they yell. 
When they yell and they don't get listened to, they create some sort of scene. When their scene doesn't get listened to, they try and destroy something. Where, to me, the mosaic is so important is the mosaic is a movement to return us to that place where we listen to what people say so they don't have to scream, so they don't have to create a scene, so they don't have to destroy. We have the ability to listen, but we don't listen anymore. We talk over each other. And, you know, I've had the opportunity in my life to travel all around the world. I've mixed with the most, the wealthiest of the wealthy and the poorest of the poor. In every single case, no matter what color their skin, no matter how much money they had, no matter what religion they practiced, no matter what party they were a part of, no matter what they be- their belief systems were, every single person wanted one thing. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. They wanted to be validated and understood. Never, ever, did any of them say to me, you have to agree with me. And some of my best friends, we, we are on opposite, opposite sides of the scale on our belief system. But we love each other and accept each other and validate each other. And I don't believe like them and they don't believe like me and, pr- and we probably never will. But we can still sit together as brothers and sisters and say, I hear you. And I give you the right to believe what you believe. And when we do that, there doesn't need to be yelling. There doesn't need to be a tantrum. There doesn't need to be a a, a obstruction. Because our basic human needs of being heard is met. So So whereas it's easy for me to agree with you and say, look at the fervor that he's driving and bringing up in people, I think we're missing the point. The point is, what are people trying to say and how do we hear them and how do we remove the fear that they have from what they feel how do we help each other come to a place where together we're stronger than we are independently we're in a situation now where 42 percent 46 percent 50 percent 51 percent whatever it is whatever that number is of the population decides how this country is led, maybe 35%. But that isn't what we're about. We are the United States of America, one nation, under God, indivisible. But that isn't the place we're living in anymore. And until we get to the place where we say enough is enough, We want to return back to the beliefs and the values and and this idea that every single one of us has a voice. That's what the Mosaic Swarm is all about. It's not about the power and the charisma of one voice to dominate the many. It's the power and the charisma of our united voice, of birds that don't follow a leader but fly in synchronicity with each other all feeling the same thing at the same time and responding appropriately. Of the group together coming up to make decisions in a way that's smarter than what the solo mind's decisions are. But if we don't listen to each other, 
we'll lose our opportunity. We'll lose our opportunity. We'll lose our opportunity in some democratic institutions along with it, some structural foundations to this constitutional republic of ours. Well, I believe in losing sometimes we find. And I believe that, you know, Bucky Fuller said it really beautifully. And maybe maybe I'm getting off base here. But he said, you can't solve the the problems of the old paradigm with the thinking of the old paradigm. Einstein said that too, yes. Yeah. Pretty smart guy. Yeah, in order to solve those problems, you need to create a new paradigm that makes the old paradigm obsolete. I may be completely self-serving in this. I don't own any stock in unanimous AI. (laughs) But I believe the technology that's been discovered of allowing us to come together and think as one mind is really the process that our founding fathers had in mind when we set up our country. That we would have opposition, we would, we, would, we would counter each other, but we would use that opposition to find solutions, not to sit in gridlock. And right now it's very popular to label something that is collective, that is a collective mind, a socialist uh, way of thinking. Maybe it is. But I believe the real solutions to our problems come when we come together as one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. When I hear an answer like that, Daniel, you should give me a little heads up. I feel like I need to be standing to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) God bless America, right? Yes. No, but but it's not only There's so much more, though, Daniel, that we could say about that. There and just keep running it to the top of the hour, but we know we're going to have you back again. And we've got roughly five minutes. I'm just curious about one character, one archetype in the mosaic, and I'd love for you to say a little bit about the flower girl. I remember Woodstock. I remember the the hippie girls that I went to uh, junior high and high school with. Tell us a bit about the flower girl in your sensibility as expressed in the mosaic. Oh, my God. You picked the one. She stole my heart. Many of the characters in this book are people that I actually encountered. Many of them are people that um, I had the good fortune to meet along the way of my journey. And though I don't say that because I don't want this to be my story, I want it to be our story. The flower girl was someone who I had had a... I can say this on your show because you're alternative thinking. I had had a reading years ago when I was just a kid from a psychic who said, you can look for her and you will find her. You cannot look for her and you will find her. But your own will come to you. And when she comes, she will give you a flower and you will know it's her. It's her. The flower girl was that She came into my life, and she gave me that flower, and I was intoxicated. We were intoxicated, and there was nothing we could do except she came at the wrong time in the wrong situation, and we had to go our separate ways, but then she came back, and she took on another form, 
that was more powerful and more beautiful and was more obvious and was more possible. But that flower girl is that intoxication of love, that when you see it, it overrides everything that you actually believe in because there's nothing that you can say that can counter the force, the power of that love. And so it's, 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 a, it's a little bit like a temptress. It's a little bit like a seductress. And it's a lot like what it feels like to fall madly, overwhelmingly in love with the world and the person around you. Mm. And that like involves that. giving yourself permission to do so. I do not mention this as casually as it may sound, but what you're describing reminds me of the song by the cow sills of all people going back to the days of hair the rain the park and other things and there was a flower girl and she showed up and then she disappeared but he had a flower to tell him that this experience was real there even though he wondered if it was all just a dream and to me i love that song i get very nostalgic when i listen to it but the main point for me in hearing you talk about the flower girl is that we have to give ourselves permission to let go, to experience joy and ecstasy, because ecstasy, when it's on rushing or it's on our doorsteps, so so to speak, can be a terrifying thing if we're not ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we believe in love, but when love, when love comes, we're not at all prepared for it. I don't know. I'm speaking for myself at least. Because we've been hurt so much by life around us and in the thought of what we want. And we protect ourselves so much that we won't get hurt again. That when love knocks on our door, we push it away. And I can tell you from my own personal experience with my wife right now. I grew up in a world where I lost the people that were closest to me. So in some ways, when my wife and I got married. I loved, my first wife passed away of, of the terrible uh, death of cancer, uh, most painful death you could ever imagine. And I lost my parents and my daughters delayed. And so I had a belief system that all the people that get close to me get hurt. So when my wife felt, said, I'm in love with you and I want to be with you, I said, but it's okay. You should stay a little bit away because we're scared of that love. We're scared of what it will do to us. We're scared of how we become in it. But it's time now to allow that love to shine. Perfect. Let it shine and let it rule and let it flow. Daniel Levin, thank Thank you you. so much for being with us again today. The Mosaic is a wonderful book. We can't wait for visit number three. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And and thank you for um, all that you do. You've touched me deeply, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. Stay tuned for Christine Upchurch, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience, and then American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Sounds like a great start to your weekend, everyone. Stay tuned to 1150 KKNW Seattle. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.